What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of the Slip and Weave podcast. I'm Dakota. Uh, this week, I'm going to be talking about a card from last weekend that included Jorge Linares and Ryan Garcia in separate bouts with the idea of them being mashed against each other at some point. Uh, and I'll also be doing a breakdown of the fight next weekend, February 29th, against Mikey Garcia and Jesse Vargas. Let's get right into it. two fights on the card that there was multiple fights but there was two fights on the card that really mattered the first one being between Jorge Linares and Carlos Morales and then the main event between Ryan Garcia and Francisco Fonseca so the first fight with Linares um I had read prior to this that and I had spoke on it last week on last week's podcast that you know they were putting this card together with the idea that they were going to try to match Linares and Garcia at some point um, so I think in order to do that, they put Linares in with somebody who might be recognizable to Ryan Garcia fans, a guy named Carlos Morales. Morales gave Ryan Garcia some real problems. Um, and I, I had seen that fight a little before this card. And one of the things that I noticed was that, uh, the whole fight, it kind of felt like Ryan Garcia was sort of keeping his hands in his pocket, that Morales' timing was throwing him off. So I was interested to see how somebody with the experience of Jorge Linares was going to handle Carlos Morales and his, his awkward timing, um, and his pace. So the first couple of rounds, I hadn't seen Linares in a little bit. He's had one fight since the knockout loss to Pablo Cano and... So I was wondering, you know, how he was gonna how he was gonna react to punches and how he was just gonna react generally. You know, the first maybe round and a half, um, you could tell he was starting a little slow. He was feeling it out. He took a couple shots and he reacted to them well. I think he was getting engaged on Morales's power. And then like maybe halfway through the second round, he started to take over and really hit this guy with some hard shots. And wound up pretty much knocking him out cold in the fourth round. And it was a very impressive performance. Linares is one of my personal favorite fighters to watch. He has a really good sense of offensive timing and a really nice punch of variety. When he starts putting combinations together, there's really not that many guys in the game right now that do it as fluidly as Jorge Linares. Always been a pleasure to watch. And I think in this fight, what he proved is that at lightweight, for one, he's still very much a puncher at lightweight. Not so sure about up at 140, but at 135, Jorge Linares' power is the real deal. And he's got the speed to land it, even against the best. You know, we saw him and Lomachenko. He was able to put Lomachenko down with that right hand because he has the speed and timing to land it. Um, Elite level speed and timing. Elite level skills, period. This is a guy with elite level skills. You're, it's very rare that you see somebody with this combination of hand speed, foot speed, um, combination punching, timing, and power. 
it's really the full package. Um, and his record right now, he's a veteran, and his record is 47-5 and five with 20, 29 knockouts. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's been a sustained level of excellence. Where Linares has run into some problems is he's a little chinny. I've, I talked about this last week as well, you know. It's, it's, he's shown questionable punch resistance in the past, and all of his losses when he's lost have come by stoppage. The fight he had a few years ago with Antonio DeMarco comes to mind specifically because it felt like he was kind of dominating that fight, and then out of nowhere, his face kind of fell apart, and there was multiple cuts that opened up, and the fight wound up getting stopped. He just seemed to be overwhelmed by the pace of the fight, DeMarco coming on you know, later on, and you could just see... You know, that DeMarco was so durable and tough that he clearly was not um, wilting in the in the combat the same way that Linares is, was in that fight. And sometimes with guys at a certain level, you know, you have to wonder how long Linares hangs in. That being said, though, a lot of times when he's lost, it's been against more kind of rugged guys where their technique is, is less clean and... Uh, they're doing something that's awkward or not standard or they're rushing him, which is not necessarily Ryan Garcia's style. Ryan Garcia is a very clean-cut fighter as well, um, which is a good transition into the next fight. Uh, Ryan Garcia fought a guy named Francisco Fonseca, who you may remember from watching Gervonta Davis stop him in the eighth round. Um, Ryan Garcia got it done in the first round, and people can talk a lot about... You know, oh, he's a pretty boy. You know, he's a he's a social media influencer or whatever. But the kid can straight up box. The his punching power is the real deal. It's it's apparent that he has enough of that whipping power that he can put guys to sleep with one shot at any time. So particularly at lightweight, I'm sure he's a guy that's going to move up over time, just like De La Hoya, just like Canelo. But the power is the real deal. The speed is the real deal. What I really want to be able to see from him is if he fights somebody who's a real one and who can provide him with a real challenge, can he think his way through some of those longer stretches of uncertainty? Can he get to round eight and have the fight be even and figure out you know, how to separate himself at an elite level? Can he get to round 10 and be down and figure out how to pull out a miracle? Does he have that kind of makeup, that kind of composition to him? Um, and I think that there's potential that Linares could be the perfect opponent to show us that. And I, I, I personally think he does. I think he's a real fighter. I think the, the, the deeper the water that he gets put into, he's just going to keep rising to the occasion. Um, and I don't know if right at this moment he's, he's would be the favorite against Linares, but I think that fighting somebody at that level right now is a good learning lesson for him because he's going to have a long career. So I, I feel like it's it's almost better to get a gauge on where he's at now so you know how to move him. You know, if he fights Linares and you can see that it's maybe a little much for him, you know, maybe you want to ease up and you want to keep building him up for another couple of years and let him really take his time. But if he walks right through a Linares, he's ready for a big-time fight. No doubt about it. So... You know, but just based on 
how dominant Garcia was over Fonseca and how dominant Linares was over Morales, I, I would have to think that they're going to follow through with that and, and match these two guys and put that fight together. And um, I'll be I'll be looking forward to it. I hope they do. You know, I, I think Sergio Mora on the commentary crew said at one point during the broadcast, you know, Ryan Garcia is what Jorge Linares used to be. He said something to that effect. That's not word for word, but he, what he said. But he was basically saying that at one point, people were looking at Jorge Linares in a similar way as they're looking at Mikey Garcia. You know, like a young, flashy, good-looking good looking guy that's got all of the, the pieces athletically and looks like the real deal as a fighter. So, and the thing about Linares is he's had a, a great career and he's a great fighter. But... I don't want to say he's underperformed or underachieved because he has achieved a lot, but there are there are certain fights in his career, certain losses where he's lost to guys where on paper the skills don't match up because his resistance or his punch resistance and his ability to to take punishment at a high volume and 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 rebound from it has not always been at, at an elite level. And it's hard to know about those things if you aren't fighting elite level guys. We're going to find that out about Ryan Garcia as he moves up. You know, because sometimes guys have the flash, they have the skill, but they are a little fragile. You know, guys like Linares, guys like, you know, Amir Khan, guys like maybe even Zab Judah, guys with good speed, good time, and good athletic ability, but their punch resistance is sketchy. We don't really know that about Ryan yet. And I'm looking forward to finding out. And I think Linares is the guy. It'll be a good match of speed. I'm looking forward to seeing how he reacts to Linares' ability to adjust and react to him. You know, finally fighting somebody that can, you know, play the same level of chess match. That can hang with him mentally, you know, with his IQ. Linares has a great boxing IQ. So it's not like he's just going to come out and walk straight to Ryan and he's going to make his chin readily available to him. All those little check left hooks he gets, you know, on some lower level guys, those punches are not going to be available against Linares. So how does he open Linares up and create that offense for himself? So hopefully they get that matchup going sooner than later and uh, we don't have to wait too long for it. The lightweight division right now uh, is a very, very exciting one. Number right up at the top, obviously you have Lomachenko. He's sort of the the king of the lightweight division, and then there's this cluster of young, potentially superstar type fighters: Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis, Teofimo Lopez. That's pretty much the five best lightweights in the world: Lomachenko, Garcia, Haney, Davis, and uh, Lopez. It's a really talented group of guys. Um, I'm not sure where they all fit in. You know, a lot of them are, are, they're all kind of under 25 or 25 and under. And the level of competition has not been, you know, has not been great for any of them really. Um, not, not that they're fighting softies necessarily, but it's hard to know how they match up against each other or against other champions, you know, how they match against their peers when they haven't fought any of their peers. They're all sort of fighting similar level competition and we're comparing, you know, their performances relative to each other. 
but we haven't seen them get in get in the ring with each other. ID what I've heard is that Lomachenko and Tiafimo Lopez are going to be fighting soon. That that was the uh, the agreement when Lopez fought Richard Comey and knocked them out. So I'm guessing we're going to get to see Lomachenko and Tiafimo Lopez. I really like that fight. Um, hopefully we're going to get to see Linares and Ryan Garcia. And I think that the winner of those two fights should be fighting each other. There's no doubt about it. You know, hopefully we can see Tank Davis and Devin Haney get in the mix soon. But those are two really nice matchups in a really stacked weight class that has like seven, eight guys that are worth watching that are high entertainment value. And uh, it's a nice division, man. It's going to have some years on it, too. If these guys can keep making 135, you know, lightweight could be one of the best divisions in boxing for a long time. Um, so, yeah. I look forward to these fights, man. I look forward to light, the lightweight division really having a nice year. Um, so the, another card that was on this last weekend was a Caleb Plant fight against a guy named Vincent Feigenboots from Germany um, who really had absolutely no chance in this fight at all. Was a much smaller guy. Like you could see when they were in the ring together, they looked like they were in different weight classes. Feigenboots looked kind of like a junior middleweight, like a big, bulky junior middleweight. His whole frame was just much smaller than Plants. It was like, a, you know, he was kind of uh, stocky and muscular, but he was shorter. He wasn't as broad. You could just see it was a whole different size. And Caleb Plant just boxed lessons around this guy, just like I thought. I think just like everybody thought. And wound up getting a 10th round stoppage. And... I'm not sure I see what value a fight like that has for Caleb Plant. I don't know if that's his mandatory. That would be uh, pretty pretty lame of whatever belt organization, um, whatever belt he has, if that's the mandatory for his belt, that's a pretty lame mandatory because 168 pounds is another division that's got a lot of talent right now. And, uh, you know, him and David Benavidez keep kind of jawing at each other. And... Uh, I, the, it feels like there's sometimes there's just too much waiting in boxing. You know, these everyone's trying to, all of these promoters are trying to build every title fight into a super fight, mega pay-per-view fight. And if that's not what it is, they're not that interested in putting it together. So if it's just two good young fighters who are at the peak of their game, but it's not worth a lot of money, a lot of times the investment doesn't get made to put those fights together because, you know, if they're not, if there's not something to keep building towards, then all of a sudden that fighter has to sort of figure out a new path. So matching them, you know, it's that you're no longer building a promotion. Now you're saying this is the big fight. So if the draw, if the numbers on that aren't what you want them to be, that I think that's what that's what happens is people don't the, the promoters don't want to put the fight forward before they feel like it's worth the maximum amount of money that they think it's worth. So. We wind up waiting. We wind up seeing a lot of champions that have these careers that kind of like meander along sometimes for years at a time. Um, and hopefully for Caleb Plant, it's not too many years, but he's had multiple defenses now against guys that, you know, just aren't at his level. And uh, I hope that PBC matches him with somebody real sooner than later because. I don't have any interest in watching him, you know, 
beat the crap out of somebody that really couldn't even be a sparring partner. You know, if that was his sparring partner for any fight, it would be not good enough sparring. The guy just wasn't at his level. So PBC has had a tendency if they don't, if they're not actively matching titleists to kind of cherry pick for their guys or give them softer touches to, to keep them relevant and to keep them in the conversation. I'm not sure how helpful that is. I don't think picking up a loss and learning from that loss is the worst thing in the world because, you know, the last thing you want is these guys to get to a point where they can finally take bigger fights and then they've either lost some enthusiasm or some skill, even worse. So that's my take on Caleb Plant. I want to see him in with someone real. Um, next weekend, a week from tomorrow, is a big matchup on the zone between Mikey Garcia and Jesse Vargas. I love this matchup. Um, this is a great matchup. We haven't gotten to see Mikey Garcia since the loss to Errol Spence, but you know anybody who's seen Mikey knows how just technically sound and fundamentally sound this guy is. Mikey's a guy with not a lot of holes in his game. And... He's very much a come-forward front-foot fighter. He's a great body puncher. He's had great power at lightweight and at junior lightweight, but this fight's going to be at welterweight, where Jesse Vargas has fought basically his whole career and, in fact, has moved up to junior middleweight multiple times now. So it'll actually be interesting the other way around to see how, you know, if Jesse has to struggle to make welterweight, you know, and Mikey's really pushing it to be big enough to be a welterweight, you know, how they meet in the middle and how their skills mix. I think they're at a similar point in their careers as far as they're a similar age. And I think they're both trying to get a sense of their direction now because they're both really good fighters, but Mikey's first loss was in his last fight against arguably the best welterweight in the world. And Jesse Vargas has had some wins recently, but when he's fought his best competition, he's either lost or had a draw. You look at, I would say, his three best opponents. Tim Bradley was a decision loss. Pacquiao was a decision loss. And Adrian Broner was a draw. Nothing wrong with any of those, but I think he's looking for that fight against an elite-level guy that he can win and that kind of puts him over the edge to above, you know, top 10 contender that he's sort of next for a title fight. And beating Mikey Garcia definitely puts him in line to be next for something big. But I think that stylistically, this has the potential to be a very entertaining in-the-pocket fight um, with a lot of action. You know, I know that they're both pretty responsible defensively, particularly Mikey. But I think Mikey really feels like he's got something to prove to himself, to us. Um, I think he wants to show that he can be a top guy at welterweight. For whatever reason, that seems to be important to him. So what I would hope is that, you know, he's going to be a little more active than he was against Errol Spence. And he's going to be a little more comfortable at this weight now. It's not, it's not going to be new. It's not going to be him adjusting to, you know, this guy's power or, you know, the because the, there are differences when you go from 140 to 147. You know, the guys just hit harder. 
They, they can take punches a little harder. They're cutting from a higher weight to get down to that. So they're naturally much bigger. So I'm hoping that, you know, Mikey's a little more adjusted to the weight. And I, ultimately, I think, you know, if all of the skills and the power translate, that Mikey Garcia is just a level or two up from Jesse Vargas. And I'll use the I'll use Broner sort of as a metric, though that doesn't always work. Him and Vargas got a draw, whereas Mikey pretty much won every round against Broner. Um, styles do make fights, but Vargas and Mikey sort of fought them with a similar style, right? They both came forward, and Broner sort of sat along the ropes with that little fake shoulder roll he does. Um, and Mikey was just much, much more effective. So, ultimately, I think that Mikey's going to win the decision, and I think he should win it wide. I think he should win a pretty dominant decision, 8-4, 9-3. But I think that Jesse Vargas is is a live underdog. He's a terrific opponent. I've always enjoyed watching him, but he's never had the punching power to, like, separate himself in some of these fights, whereas, you know, at 140 and 135, Mikey's always had the power to hurt guys. So... I think ultimately Mikey's going to win a decision. I think we're going to see a great entertaining fight. Um, it's, you know, two Mexican warriors. You know, the, the, the Garcia family is is famous in the sport of boxing. Um, so that should be a treat. I, it could be a Barrera Morales type of occasion. So definitely check that out, you guys. Um, once again, this has been episode four of the Slip and Weave podcast. My name is Dakota. Thanks so much for listening again, and uh, I've appreciated all the support and feedback, and I'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, guys.